What's up, guys? Episode 54 about to drop. Now, this isn't really episode 54 because we actually went to Yankee Stadium a few weeks ago. That's why we haven't had an episode in quite some time. And we actually did a recording there, but we were all very hammered. So I got to go through the recordings and piece together a little bonus episode for you guys. That'll come out. But for this episode, episode 54, John McKenna returns back with the boys and he brings on someone he works with, Dr. Ryan Dolan, and also someone he went to school with, Ray Clowers. Both of, both of them physical therapists. This is a great episode. We jam on sleep. Sleep is so important for us, especially as CrossFitters. They dive into the, the ins and outs of sleep, what's good sleep, how it translates into the gym. Um, really cool section by Ryan, R- chronic workload versus acute workload. Um, and then Ray brings in his body tempering tool and then actually does it on Caesar. Towards the end, we talk about the direction that CrossFit is heading in. That's a really cool sort of segment there, where the direction is going, how we feel about it, and is it good for you guys and is it good for us? So don't forget to subscribe to us, guys. Let us know that you listened to the episode by either telling us in person, dropping a comment. You know the deal, guys. I hope everyone is having a great first part of June, and we will talk to you guys soon. Episode 54, we're here. We're back. We took a little hiatus. Did we take a little hiatus? Uh, yeah, I would say like two weeks. Two weeks. Yeah. George is on vacation, then we never put one out because we were drunk at Yankee Stadium. I think that one's still going to come out, though. I think th- I think they would enjoy it. <clears throat> yeah. So we got George here. We got Caesar here. Say what up, C. What up, people? And then we got a couple of guests today. One of them you guys know already, Mr. John McKenna. What's up? He uh, brought some friends along today. This is going to be a great episode. I'm excited. Johnny, why don't you introduce your... Uh, Cohorts? Yeah, absolutely. So I was able to get um, one of my classmates, actually, SUNY Upstate Medical University class of 2006 PT program, uh, Ray Clowers. He's up, actually up here from Knoxville, Tennessee, uh, visiting me for the weekend, so worked out perfectly. And we also have Dr. Ryan Dalton, who's a physical therapist at Most PT as well. He's been working with us for the last year. Uh, some of you saw him at the uh, shoulder seminar that we gave a couple months ago. Perfect. So thank you guys for coming. Appreciate um, you having us. Thank you. So we we're trying to talk about beforehand <clears throat> a little preview of what we're going to get into today. And I think a big one that we're going to jump right into is sleep. So you guys are going to kind of jam on that. We're going to ask some questions. George is super into this stuff. Yes. Caesar's got great questions. Right? You boys ready? Uh, yeah, I'm born ready. They have come with a lot of literature, a lot of good stuff. <laughs> I, I have glanced at it, and man, this is knowledge bombs. Like, if you guys listen to the Josh Jeffrey podcast, get ready, because this is going to be even better. I can't wait. All right, let's, let's dive in. All right, Johnny, so when it comes to CrossFit, man, how important is sleep? I would say when it comes to any sport, but especially CrossFit, sleep is hugely important. So... Um, one of the things that we find in the literature that is a huge risk factor for injury in CrossFit is a, um, you know, is a, excuse me, a undervaluing of rest and recovery as well as uh, low intensity training. So you guys, I know 
uh, for a fact, are hugely into your diets, right? You're strict with your diets. You are um, competitive with your training. Um, you do all the right things in terms of your strength, your endurance, your flexibility, your mobility. But there's probably a good percentage of us that don't value sleep as much as we need to. So um, came across some really good research recently that talked about what happens when we're sleep deprived. And there's, it's a litany of physiologic changes that somebody can go through, as well as neurologic, when they're sleep deprived. So uh, one of the things that I hear in the clinic a lot is, oh, well, I can function on four hours of sleep, or I can function on six hours of sleep, or I can function, I'm tough. It's like this pervasive thought process that I don't need that much sleep. And I'll tell you what, when you pull up the literature and you look at the latest research, or you even listen to someone like LeBron James, right? LeBron, LeBron James talked about how he tries to sleep nine to 10 hours a night. He should be at the end of his career, right? There's guys like Dwayne Wade and Carmelo Anthony that are retiring, that were drafted in the exact same year. He had one of his best seasons ever, only two seasons ago. So um, you listen to high level athletes and they are uh, respecting what sleep can do for you more uh, in pop popular culture. So when couple, you- Just to jump in, a couple of years ago, a report came out that the Warriors became the first team to start monitoring it very consistently with their players and almost mandating it. I don't know if it was 100% mandated, but it was highly suggested, probably because of all the literature that was going into it. And I mean, they seem to be the gold standard in, going in that to their league right now. Fifth so. championship in a row. Yeah. So, so when you think about CrossFit, right? And you, you guys know um, this is high intensity interval training, right? It's varied, it's constantly changing. Um, there should be an emphasis on sleep and recovery, right? So there's, when you don't sleep, right? Research shows that when you have one night where you're uh, sleep deprived, there's things that happen to your body, right? So your executive function, which means your, your higher brain power or your ability to learn, right? So CrossFit, we learn about high level tasks like gymnastics or Olympic lifting. The ability to, um, to learn those tasks and to imprint them and, and become better at them is impacted, right? So. Again, when you can't learn a, a high-level test or you're doing it improperly, you can't imprint it, you're gonna be um, at a higher risk for injury. So that, that's the first thing that popped into my head when I was reading this, this research. The other thing is that your muscle, right? Muscle's impacted, your glycogen stores are impacted, right? So that impacts how you, how you uh, operate in the gym, right? Your speed and your endurance can be impacted. So there's, there's a multitude of different things that get impacted when, with just one night of, of being sleep deprived. So, um, you know, it's hugely important. I can't say enough about it. I know personally, I'll be honest with you, I've put more of an emphasis on my sleep since uh, last summer. And from my standpoint, I'm dealing with less aches and pains, less minor chronic injuries. I'm coming into the gym and, and actually feeling better and operating better. So I did switch up the way that I approached uh, when I was training. So I train more in the evenings now. Um, I'm actually training less. I'm training four days, three to four days a week instead of four to five days a week, um, but actually getting more out of my training sessions with less, less uh, aches and pains and soreness. So, Just to add into that, uh, when you're talking about being sleep deprived, a lot of these studies, actually I think most of them, were looking at the difference between six hours of sleep and eight hours of sleep or seven hours of sleep and eight hours of sleep. It wasn't like not sleeping all night versus getting eight to ten. It was just a small difference or a small amount of sleep making a huge difference. All right, I have a couple of questions because it's important. Like, 
All right, so in the Marine Corps, they train us to function with us, like under duress and stress with like maybe three, four hours of sleep. And I would do like 46 hours outside the wire and like, what is happening to my body at that time? Like I felt, if I recall correctly, this is going back, I'm 34 now, I said we're going back years now. But I remember being sharp and I felt like I had all my senses with me and I felt like, okay, I'm ready to rock and roll, let's, let's go do this. And if, you know, you do seven month tours and you, you know, so you're out there working, functioning on like very little sleep and getting back out there and then let's go. And like, mm -hmm. so explain what, what is that? What is that feeling like, the, the euphoria? Like I can do this, I, I'm sharp, I'm, is that just adrenaline pumping? Is this just because I'm outside the wire and I'm, you know, what's going on and. Ray, Ray would be probably the best one to answer this question. Yeah, cause I was in the army myself and you know, a lot of that is it's, you know, trained to fight and they train you to function at that lower level of sleep, lower level of food, uh, limited water intake to be sharp and be at your best. And, you know, you can't sustain that all the time. So whenever you're doing those types of missions and that type of thing, you know, there's they try to structure it so that you're getting some R&R, rest and recovery, so that then you can go back out and function again on that limited sleep level. But, you know, whenever you're doing that stuff in the military, it's also survival as opposed to a CrossFit workout, and which is totally different to where, you know, this you're trying to survive. So every body system is at its highest, best functioning level. As opposed to, hey, you're dropping the kids off at school, then you're going to work all day and that type of thing. So it's, it's quite a bit different. And, and to follow up, Jess Maurer, or Foster now, says if you don't get a, more than six hours of sleep, don't even work out. I think that's her philosophy, right? I like what that. Would, have you heard that? I think yeah, I've, I've heard, heard that. that, the golden rule. So you what would you, what, what, what is like, what is, is there a number that I need to be hitting? Is it individual? Like, so when you look at the research, I think, you know, it says here eight hours, right? Adults need eight hours of sleep. Adolescents need 10 to 11 hours of sleep. That's what you're shooting for. And I'm sure there's going to be people that listen to this podcast and say, listen, there's no way I'm hitting this. I have two little kids or I work 12 hour days and things like that. And you know, listen, you know, that's, that's the realistic world that you live in. But I agree with what Jess says. I mean, your risk for injury coming into a gym where you're on four hours of sleep is gonna be, you know, you may be thinking about modifying what you're doing in the gym that day if you do go through with a workout. Just because, again, you, your, your speed is gonna be impacted, your endurance, your ability to, to, uh, to multitask, which you need to do in CrossFit, right? Because we're going through different movements pretty, pretty consistently um, or doing, you know, quick transitions in, in our workouts. So um, I do agree with that. I, I think if you can, right, like, like the literature shows, if you can put a priority on your sleep and try to get as close to eight hours as you can, you're going to find, um, you know, I would be confident in saying that you'd find out that you're going to feel better going into your workouts and you're going to be able to maybe improve uh, what you're doing during your workouts and your recovery time or the time that you're going to require to recover is going to decrease. They actually talk about, so there's a, there's a cool thing in this meta-analysis that we looked at. So they brought up a, uh, an example of a, a basketball team, right? So they improved their sleep patterns from 6.5 hours to 8 hours for five weeks. And what happened was, was their 
three-point shooting percentage went up by like nine or ten percent their free throw shooting percentage went up by nine or ten percent and their speed went up by five percent do you imagine a five percent increase in speed without changing any other variables besides your sleep right so in crossfit what i was thinking with you guys what would be cool to do if anybody wanted to participate is i'm in <laughs> oh, oh go ahead i'm sorry what we should do is we should do a sprint time right let's do like a 200 meter sprint time it's programmed tomorrow is it and I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Uh, so you do a 200 meter sprint time right what you'd have to do is you keep a sleep log though you know some of these i think the fitbits will log it i don't know how accurate they are but you keep a sleep log for two weeks and then you retest it don't change any of your other variables right come into crossfit as many days as you normally do um, your, your, your diet doesn't change any of those other things. You come in and you retest your 200 meter sprint time. Be a cool experiment. I don't know what would happen, but would yeah, let's do it. I mean, seriously, let's, it's a small enough time this. frame where I think people would be pretty compliant with it, but you'd have to really make an effort. So the way to improve your sleep patterns is there's two things, right? Your pre-sleep routine should be pretty consistent, right? So there's research that shows that time in front of an LED screen, right? Your phone, your computer, your laptop, your iPad, whatever, should de decrease, right? You shouldn't be looking at that stuff right up until you go to sleep. Um, time in front of a screen definitely impacts that. Um, and your routine should be consistent, right? You should do the same thing every night. Get your body prepared for sleep so that you're not having issues with that. The other thing is the environment, right? Making sure that you sleep in, uh, I mean, at least the research says a comfortable, cool environment uh, with minimal light um, that's, that's another thing that you do and then you can just log it right when you go to bed when you wake up track your hours pretty easy to do and then you retest your 200 meter sprint time two weeks I, I would I would be again it'd be interesting to see who knows but I would be um, pretty confident in saying that it wouldn't improve other things I mentioned were the um, I guess monitoring caffeine or alcohol consumption yeah. even even like a glass before bed, let's say it can help feel, have like a sedative effect, but it can actually disrupt sleep a little bit. Really? Yeah. When I get drunk, I feel like I'm passed out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, so I actually did read a, read a quote. I thought it was really good. It said that if you're sleeping less than five hours to fit in a workout, like you're waking up really early to work out, you are stepping over $100 bills to pick up nickels. Uh, with that being said, I've read, and I know a lot of people have heard this, that if you sleep in hour and a half intervals, because like the way that uh, sleep cycles work, like if you're going, um, like you're trying to get each REM cycle every single time. So if you sleep like six hours or seven and a half hours or nine hours, you will actually be more refreshed than if you sleep, say, like seven, like eight hours or something like that. Okay. What, what do you think about that? And have you heard that? I have not. I've not heard about the exact time frame to get into REM sleep, and but it sounds like it could be <laughs> pretty realistic. I don't know. Have you heard anything about that? No. I, I, the only thing that we've we've talked about. I think we were talking about it yesterday with naps. Taking too long of naps, you might get into REM, and then you feel groggy when you get out of it. So yeah. taking might be more beneficial to take a 20 or 30 minute nap as opposed to an hour and a half. Jocko Welling says the perfect nap time is 18 minutes. Yeah. 18 minutes. I would agree with that. Yeah. 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 Don't get it. <laughs> I the other thing that, the, um, again, this, this meta-analysis talked about is that they don't really know about uh, nap time, right? It doesn't really fill the tank. 
So if you miss, say you get six hours of sleep, if you take a two hour nap later that day, doesn't necessarily correlate to that full eight hours of sleep. So um, that's that's a big takeaway too. So I mean, little naps here and there absolutely can help with uh, recovery and and feeling revamped, but maybe before you come into a workout, things like that. But again, yeah, short short time frame, no no longer than thirty minutes, I think. Cool. Uh, one more thing. Go ahead. Answer. You had a question about injury risk, I think. Yeah. So one of the studies in here was uh, with adolescents sleeping less than eight hours a night were found to be 1.7 times more likely to experience a significant injury than those who slept more than eight hours. So that was the cutoff right there, doubling. Doubling your injury risk. Yeah. yeah, sleeping less than eight hours essentially doubles the injury risk. So what time do you go to bed there, John? Uh, typically is dependent on when my kids go to bed, but I try to get into bed about at 10 a.m. Uh, 10 p.m., excuse me, 10 a.m., 10 p.m., and then I'm usually waking up at about 6 a.m. So eight hours. So I'm trying yep. to get, I really put an emphasis on that eight hours. Eight hours. Yep. Cool. Uh, Georgie, what do you got there? Questions about sleep? Uh, I mean, you're just practicing. You go to sleep That's real stuff. late. Yeah, I do. And then wake up really. <laughs> <laughs> I go to bed about one, wake up at nine. So. Right, you, you know, try and yeah, get no. the eight in, but yeah, a little, little thrown off. You no, know, I do, I do, I do twelve, and then wake up at three forty-five. What? Yeah, and I, I, I don't know. I feel like a million bucks, man. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, and I wake up at three forty-five because I got a coach at Poughkeepsie or whatever. But I wake up early, and I'm like, I wake up like once. Hello, world. <laughs> like I'm like. Hmm. <laughs> I can take on the whole world right now. Have you been like that since you're in the Marines? Yes, it's the yeah. core, man. My sleeping pattern has been always been messed up since then. Uh -huh. So I've I've sixteen since I was sixteen and thirty four now. So okay. I'm just early, right? You just conditioned that way then. I don't know, man. I guess so. Yeah. We're gonna uh, put you in the sprint challenge though. All right. <laughs> Two hundred meters. Uh I have a nice protocol I think I'm thinking of here. Uh next Wednesday. So we'll come out with this on Monday, right? Um Wednesday we'll have the trial time. How okay. fast can you go? Yeah. And then you said two weeks. Two, two weeks, weeks after me. that, we'll do it again. Yes. And we'll have people on Facebook say, "I'm I'm participating. I'm in." Little Google Doc action. Yeah. Easy money. Yeah, yeah. We'll do so it. They can post their times right on the Facebook page. Boom. Is there anything that you do? I know. So George's been on the podcast recommending like Valerian root and stuff like that. Anything that to help you stay in that sleep because you can get into it, but it's, a lot of people get out of it like real quick. That's a good question. So from a, you're talking about supplements. Well, I mean, supplements, maybe something added to you, like you said, LED. Yeah. Um, I heard reading a book is good, like right before, but like, how yeah. do I sustain that sleep? Like say someone like me, right? I'm my, my biologic, my clock is like, okay, wake up at this time. How, yeah. How, how you, am I going to, how are you going to be able to impact how am I, that? Exactly. It's a good question. I mean, I know that there's, do I need to be eating something like turkey or something? No. Ooh. <laughs> they talk about, you know, melatonin is a, is a definitely a supplement that helps certain people. I know in the clinic I've talked to, it's a big thing that I've, I've tried to put an emphasis on is asking questions about restful sleep and how much sleep patients are getting. And some, some people rely on melatonin. Um, there's also pharmaceuticals that people take. I, I don't, I don't know that much about that component. That's okay. outside my scope, but um, I don't know. I don't know. You know, I don't know from a supplement standpoint what's the best. I think that there's a personal component to that. Everybody's a little bit different. Um, what about like a CBD is another one that people are talking about for rest and recovery. Um, is there like a proper sleeping like 
should you be in a baby position or like oh, a fetus oh, position? Oh, position of sleep. That's position a good, that's of a good sleep. Question. Like, no, is there like? I don't think so. That's okay. a huge question that I get too, and I'm sure Ray and Ryan can attest to it. Well, you know, what's the best position for me to sleep in? I usually tell people, I don't know. Your body's going to figure it out, right? And if someone wakes up with pain after sleeping, then yeah, you created some soreness or something like that. But everybody's a little bit different. Some people are stomach sleepers. I can't. I can't sleep on my stomach. I, yeah, I, I can't do it. So uh, that, that's again, that's I a love the stomach. Situation. Yeah, I'm a big time uh, stomach guy. Stomach sleeper. Yeah. Stomach, stomach guy. back, really? side. Really yeah. doesn't matter. Yeah. Do you have anything on the supplements? Well, for sleeping position, it's just each person has their own position that they're most comfortable in, and some people toss and turn all night long. Mm. They go from their back to their side to their belly, but. You know, that's more of if someone's in pain, then I can adjust their position so that they're not contributing to that pain. And then as they start feeling better, then they can uh, revert back to their normal sleeping position because the sleeping position is the most difficult thing to change. Because you can put, you can start on in one position, but then you're gonna wake up however you typically sleep. And there's not much you can do about it besides just taping pillows and stuff in the way so that you can't go to that, to that position. But you know, sleep is important. Cool. All right, guys. What else you got? Um, so we were going to talk about a couple other things. So yeah. we did a shoulder seminar a couple couple months ago and just wanted to kind of reiterate. So I was going to have Ryan talk to you guys a little bit about acute to chronic workload ratio. And I think that's a it's kind of an important concept. And um, people that have come into the clinic they're going to hear me talk to them about training load. So that I had a really good conversation with George actually last week or the week before about it, um, how to impact your training load. And that kind of goes along with acute to chronic workload ratio. So you want to just talk about that a little bit. All right. So um, I guess the first thing would be to define what, what's a chronic workload and what's an acute workload. Your chronic workload is going to be over, I guess you could, you could measure it in any time frame, but we'll use four weeks. Four weeks is your chronic workload, and you have to look at – the intensity of your workouts and the duration of your workouts and essentially you're just it's just a factor of those two those two components and you add it up so if someone was redlining their workouts maxing out their workouts in intensity for for an hour over the course of a of a week every single day compared to a person who was going at 50% intensity for half an hour their chronic workloads over a longer period of time would be very, very different, right? And what we're looking for when we're talking about acute to chronic workloads is just that. What you're doing today or what you're doing in the short term over a week for an acute workload compared to what you've done for the past month. So let's say, um, I'll use this example. Uh, say a high school football player who comes back over, I guess, for fall practice, two a days in August, hasn't done anything all summer. Their chronic workload for, say, the past four weeks has been really, really, really low. Now they come back to two a days and they just, they're redlining it. And their acute workload for that week is just spiked through the roof. That's a situation where you're probably at your highest injury risk. And conceptually, I think it makes a ton of sense. You don't need any numbers to figure that out. But what we're trying to avoid is those huge spikes in workload from on the acute phase compared to what you're doing chronically. The goal is to slowly build up your chronic workload in small increments so that you can withstand those spikes. That's kind of what the goal is, and I think that's what you guys are going for 
here in CrossFit is build up someone's fitness, build up someone's strength and endurance and power so that they can tolerate more. And they're not as susceptible to that huge spike in workload. Jump in. Yeah, I think that's, uh, that's exactly what we do here was onboarding people too. We don't just like throw them into the fire. So I think that's, that's right on what we do, John. So when you guys, let me ask you a question. When you guys are onboarding somebody, mm -hmm. what are some of the primary factors that you're looking at? So <clears throat> number one, they always go through a free trial here. So the free trial consists of them actually experience what CrossFit and what we do here is. And that's going to be like doing it in the group and whatnot. And then we take them out of the group. Obviously, we're there with them the whole step of the way. Like I had someone this morning and she took the class. After that, we're not just going to say, okay, you're good to go, right? So after that, we take them out and do private sessions. And in the private sessions, that's where, one, we build up their safety. Like that's the most important thing to us. But along the lines of building up their conditioning to the program, right? Kind of like what Ryan is saying there. So we're not just giving them Fran day two, right? Or Murph right out the gate. We're going to give them short workouts with proper movement that we just went over for the last 45 minutes. And then uh, after that there, you know, after a number of sessions, they go back into the class and they, they know like what the intensity should be. And then of course the coach will also recommend the stimulus as well. Yeah. So it's good. No, I thought was pretty awesome was Murph on Monday, just looking at the different scaling, right? So this yes. is about, I don't know, I did the nine o'clock. Yeah. And there was probably, I don't know, 40, 50 people in here, but the scaling options and the variability in the workout, I thought was awesome. Yeah. Cause you take it into account and you guys are doing this, right? You have a new client that comes through the door. You're assessing their um, training age, right? We Correct. Training age. What is their experience with training? Whether that's weight right. training, Olympic training, gymnastics. What is that, right? And we do the same thing in physical therapies. We have an athlete come through the door. Okay, how long have you been training? What, are, what is your experience with this? If I have someone like George coming in who's actually a CrossFit coach, I'm not going to give him lower level things. I need to meet him where his intensity is. And you guys are doing the same thing in here, right? You have a new client that does have a, a weight training background. Maybe you're a little bit more aggressive with them because right. their chronic workload is maybe a little bit higher than somebody else. Right. Somebody who's never lifted a weight in their lives, you guys can ramp it back. The training load changes. The intensity of the workouts training Correct. changes as well. So. First question I asked them, when was the last time you worked out? And what did you do in that workout? Mm -hmm. And then I asked, all right, so a lot of people say they haven't worked out in months, maybe years. But some people will say, oh, yeah, just last week at Gold's or whatever. All right, what do you do there? How many days a week? And, you know, what does that program look like to you? Mm -hmm. And most people just say, well, I don't really know what I'm doing. So I'm like, okay, well, glad you're here. This is what we do here. We're going to keep you accountable. But, um, yeah, the Murph thing was cool too because I did a variation I've never done and that was the the 50 rounds of the two six two four six and I was hung over and I didn't want to I know my limits <laughs> like <laughs> every Memorial Day when we do Murph of course I'm hung over and like it's dreadful <laughs> to me right but this episode brought to you by the record <laughs> go ahead <laughs> but then I saw the 50 round option I was like that's me because of the way I'm feeling. And it's, it's all relative, what we're talking about here, boys. Yep. It's all relative. <laughs> yeah, and what do you say about, uh, so somebody has a five-plus training age versus somebody who's just starting out under a year. How does that relate to their acute 
uh, versus chronic workload ratio. Like somebody who can, when they're training, they can turn on the light really bright. When they max out, that really taxes them versus somebody who, when they max out, they're not really turning on the light as bright. How does that affect like acute chronic workload ratio? Can you repeat that? <laughs> no, <laughs> I actually can't. So, so you have, you have two different training ages. You have less than a year and five years. Yeah. So I'm assuming the person that has five years of training under their belt, they're able to max out. And what was the other component? Like they're able to, they're able to turn on the light really bright, like, uh, like neuromuscular efficiency. Like they yes. can okay. go, go to the roof. Yeah. But, uh, somebody who is just starting out when they max out, they're not able to tap into like a lower training age. They're not able to really oh, go. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So ne your neuromuscular recruitment is different from person to person. Right. And we just talked, we talked a little bit about it before your ability to perform a task is different. Right. So there's a neuromuscular component that goes into motor unit recruitment, right? And somebody who has a higher training age is able to more efficiently recruit both their fast and slow twitch fibers. So that's somebody, again, that you guys can adjust their load, right? You can, as a coach, you can advise them and based on their mechanics and how they're moving and how they look, you can adjust their load. Someone who has less than a, tr and this is a huge risk factor, right? So it's, it's right here. Athletes under one year of experience in CrossFit are at a higher risk for injury. Boom. And there's there's actually research that shows that that three to six month point is the sweet spot for injury. So that's where people get a little bit more confident, right? They're kind of pushing the limits a little bit, but they still don't have proper movement patterns. They don't have those tests ingrained in their neuromuscular systems, things like that. So that's a huge takeaway for you guys, maybe as coaches. You're seeing, it must be awesome for you to see a new client come through the door and they're making great improvements. They're a couple months in there. They're really that doing honeymoon well, phase. but I think everybody, I think everybody in the room that's, or anybody that's come to CrossFit has gotten their ego checked at one point or another. Right. So it's a situation where there's still a shit ton of stuff that you need to learn and learn how to do. You know, I've been, I've been here for like three years and I'm like, I don't even know if I could do 50% of this stuff. You know, it's a situation where it's a constant learning process. So these people in CrossFit need to know that. And that's tough, right? They over, overvalue that RX button. Yeah, they do. Right. Some some people do. Some people say, listen, fuck it. I'm going to do what I can do and I'm going to get a training stimulus and I'm going to walk out of here feeling great. And other people say, I'm not going to work out because I can't hit the RX button and I don't want to look different than everybody else that's going through the workout. Absolutely. Right? And I deal with that with people that come to my office who gives a shit. Right. Your coaches are there for a reason. They're going to teach you how to modify something. Or you're going to work on an impairment or you're going to work on a movement. You're going to do what you got to do, but you're still going to get a great training stimulus and you're learning. You're learning a movement pattern or you're learning how to engage a certain muscle group correctly down the road, which is going to help you drastically too. So I always talk about keeping people in engaged in the workouts because there's much more benefit than you saying, fuck it. I can't do the R I can't hit the RX button. It's not, I'm not doing it today. I'll come back tomorrow. No, get in the gym, do what you got to do. And you guys are going to, you know, modify, you know, kick their butts do, doing something else, right? They can get on the, the Airdyne bike or they can do something else, right? So situation is constantly, uh, that's the great thing about CrossFit. You can constantly change what you're doing and no one cares if you have to modify a certain movement. Nobody ever does, no. Right? I have two scenarios that kind of stand out that I think where acute to chronic workload ratios would uh, really apply to what you guys are doing here. One might be where someone goes away on vacation for a week or two and they don't do anything. 
and they come back and they want to get right back at the same level of intensity, same frequency that they were doing before, that's when you might need to just have that talk and take a step back for a second and just say, hey, your chronic workload, you don't need to use those words, but what you've been doing hasn't been at the same level of intensity, frequency, duration that you were doing before you left. And you need to ramp back up in order to make sure that you're not putting yourself at risk. Another situation might be, say someone who uh, has an upper extremity injury, a shoulder injury, and they come in, they take time off to rehab or do whatever, get their body right. And they come back and they do a, uh, an endurance class, something where it's focusing just on lower extremity. And they're like, all right, I didn't, didn't hurt anything there. But if they weren't training that, they weren't maintaining their level of fitness with that body part and in those energy systems, and they're going to be at risk there too. So those, those are two situations that stand out to me. So quickly, chronic, acute, uh, that's great stuff. When is overtraining? Is there anything, is there such a thing as overtraining? Absolutely. There is. Okay. You know, this last couple of episodes, I think we've talked about overtraining. Is there such a thing as overtraining? Can you do that? even with proper rest and food, you, so there is overtraining, right? Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, you can look at the games athletes, right? And those guys, those guys, their chronic workload ratio is extremely high, right? And they, for those guys, they've built up to that point where they can handle those high workloads. That, I don't think that, I wouldn't consider that overtraining. But those games athletes are also doing the other things that they need to do, right? They're doing active recovery. They're doing the mobility training. Their diets are on point, all of that stuff. Um, there's definitely situations where people can overtrain. In my, in, in my clinic, I see it when people overtrain with an injury too. And that's the tough conversation where you got to sit somebody down and say, listen, you know, you need to back off the training on the injured area and continue, um, continue training and do what you can do, maybe with the, you know, we call it uh, three limb training. So you train in the, say you have a shoulder injury, you're training the other shoulder, your lower body, you're doing what you can do in terms of core training. But overtraining, yeah, maxing out uh, or, or getting into those high levels or spiking every time you come in here with that acute workload is, that's overtraining and that's where you have increased risk of injury, right? Form will break down, right? When you're not sleeping correctly or you're not eating right, and you're overtraining, your form's going to break down pretty quickly. You're going to be at risk for injury. Um, again, your, your glycogen stores, your level of cortisol, which is a stress hormone, can go up when you overtrain too. Um, there's, there's, you know, there's a multitude of things. So someone has to look at the way that we, um, on a side note, the way that we, we monitor training load in the office is we take what's called a RPE, so a rate of perceived exertion. And then we multiply by the time of their workout. So if I take somebody through a knee mom or something like that, I'll multiply their RPE by their time. When you guys have clients in here, they, they can also do the same thing. It's pretty easy, right? They can have an RPE, uh, their exertion, which is a zero to 10 scale. You know, 10 is like you're redlining. You're maxing out what you can do. Zero is nothing. Um, and you multiply by the time. They can, that can give them kind of a generalized view on how hard they're working out, right? So... When someone's coming in here and they're dealing with an injury and they're still pushing it and pushing it and doing, doing too much, you're, you're risking uh, even more catastrophic injury. So that's where, that's where we come in, right? That's where we come in with our advice. Um, listen, you can't do a push jerk, but I think you can do this to still train your shoulder, get some rotator cuff uh, training going on. 
you know, work on stability through the shoulder joint without re-aggravating the injury. And that's that's kind of where the PTs will come into play. But overvaluing high-intensity training is also another risk factor that's written down right here. So um, I don't know. That's all I have to say about that. And a lot of times athletes will try to lie to themselves and say that, oh, even though they're at a 9.5 RPE, it's like, oh, no, it's, it's just a 6. But if you – take the bias out of it by using resting heart rate your resting heart rate won't lie so they're not going to fake that and if your resting heart rate is through the roof the day after a workout then you still haven't recovered from that workout and if you wait you can still feel effects from the day before mm-hmm. holy shit I, didn't know. Well, I don't know anything about the yeah. body like that so <laughs> as your heart rate goes up you know it's trying to get more blood to those areas try to aid in recovery and if your heart rate is through the roof, and I'm, I don't have the, the numbers on exactly what that, uh, what that is outside of your norm, but if you're typically, you know, a really uh, in shape, fit athlete, and your resting heart rate is like say 50, then you're at 60 the next day, then you're still in that recovery phase. And if you try to go bust it again at that nine level exertion, then you're just asking for possible injury so you're you're a big fan of like heart rate variability and like using like a whoop band have you heard of like are those like a fitbit fitbit or like those kind of tools yeah i'm i have a few athletes that have some to have the whoop but they're sponsored athletes by them so as to whether or not it's actually legit or not don't know but you know you can just take your own resting heart rate and then base it off of that and then gauge your how strenuous your your workout is for the day. What's the best way to take your resting heart rate if someone doesn't have like a watch or whatever? If someone doesn't have a watch? <laughs> or like are they looking at a time or like a timer or a clock? Yeah, just look at the clock and uh, yeah, like 20 seconds, count it and then start at zero for the first beat and then multiply that by three. Okay. Gives you the, the one minute. Cool. Do I have to lay down for like three minutes? Do you want to rest? You don't want to. You don't. You want to be truly resting. So you don't want to after a, that that sprint that you're going to compete next week. Uh, yeah, that's a good time to take it. You don't want to take your resting heart rate right after that. You want to take it when you're truly rested. And cool. then to compare, take it like the next day whenever you're trying to compare apples to apples. Take it same scenario, same time, same situation, that type of thing. We could add heart rate into this. We could do before and after the sprint, see if it's lower after the sprint the second time with more sleep. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely a cardiopulmonary component to lack of sleep as well. So you're actually going to work harder to perform the same task when you're sleep deprived. Boom. So Make that another component. <laughs> That'd be nice. I think one of the other things too, just to, this is an important thing to touch on. I don't know really how to quantify it, but things that people should be aware about are the psychosocial components, right, with uh, injury risk. So um, stress, personal stress, negative thoughts, those kinds of things can impact your your uh, performance inside the gym as well. So, you know, components of overtraining in combination with those kinds of things are a perfect recipe for injury as well. So. And there's definitely times where people need to just, again, get into the gym, but maybe modify 
and not go crazy when you have other life factors going on too. So whoop, I think takes that into account, right? How, how stressed you feel is one of the components that you input into that information. So how does it measure stress? How does it's it a sliding scale. I think that they, you can put in, I'm not completely oh, okay. sure. I've never used it, but I know that, uh, I've heard of that. So they'll, t you know, they'll ask you, how stressed are you today? And you input that information in combination with how much you sleep, your workout intensity the day before that'll kind of dictate how hard you can go with that technology but just something for people to think very about. interesting it's cool wow all right so do you want to do what's it called that thing the tissue cheater tissue tempering yeah yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah let's do, do you want to do it while we're doing the podcast and you can like all right so we're back on who are we going to take to this caesar caesar you got to do right. this I've done it before. You got to so do explain it. to us this tool, this apparatus. So this is body tempering, which uh, Donnie Thompson down in Columbia, South Carolina, developed, started back in 2006. Um, they were foam rolling prior to powerlifting, but some of those guys were mammoth and the foam rolling just wasn't getting the job done so then they started using heavy weighted cylinders and they saw a dramatic in increase in the weights they were lifting and their recovery so uh, I went to a course actually down in South Carolina back in April uh, Donnie Thompson and uh, compound PR and there at vertex uh, PT and it was great and got to experience all of the different sizes of rollers and the, th the theory uh, they believe is that you're helping to relax uh, the muscles so that then you can load it thereafter to put a joint through a greater range of motion which helps to prevent injury and if you're if your joints aren't moving optimally then you're not going to be able to do the movement pattern as correctly as you should and you'll be compensating so by doing this prior then you will improve your uh, fitness level and typically when you do it before it's more of the dynamic rolling where you just do a couple passes on each body part but then after training then you can do the more static loading where you sit with it on your quads for you know several minutes or on the hamstrings low back and it, it's insane <laughs> how much does this weigh this one is 80 pounds 80 pounds yes we had a 150 at the uh like solid steel yeah and that was that was the ex-wife that's what it's called that, everybody that's no what it's called yeah yeah, yeah that's a, he came up donnie thompson came up with names for it and if you guys are wondering yes that is where josh jeffrey vertex pt same guy same place where dr ray was at pretty cool cool so we're gonna take caesar through this nice. so, quick question so say you just got done doing murph before you did all these heel workouts you're feeling sore still do it yes Statically, right? okay yes. Is that correct Okay. The, the static is, is really good for afterwards, but okay. depending upon, you know, an athlete's time restrictions, then, hey, if, if they only have a few minutes, then you can at least do the dynamic version so that then they're getting some benefit from it. All right. Let's... But the key with anything passive is after doing it, then you got to do the active movements to load that joint so that then the brain knows that it's safe to go there. Because ah, okay. if you don't, then you're going to go right back to that limited amount of movement because that's what the body, the brain feels safe doing. Did, did Donnie go over like 
how like how acute it is like is it like 20 minutes where it's like after you're done uh doing the passes like you need to load or like how how long in between doing it and loading like how it's immediate right yeah immediately after that you that you do it that's when you need to do that uh, mobility work so that then it's going to lock in otherwise it's you know kind of like if you go get a massage it feels good for an hour or two and then you go right back to doing the same computer work and that type of thing and then you feel stiff right away right so it's important to load it immediately and there's a lot of different uh, like pre-tests that you can do for uh, instead of just you know basing off of how you feel you can you know do like if they have limited ankle mobility you do like the kneeling uh, test there at the wall to test how much uh, ankle dorsiflexion range of motion they have then you uh, do the tempering and then do that same test immediately thereafter to see the actual improvement mm -hmm. right. so why don't we do a test like that where we can you know let's do a pre-test or and then we'll see what type of range of motion you have and then let's get on it and then we'll see how you do afterwards right. <laughs> so do you have any stiffness and typically in your ankles or your back or I mean, just my lower like lower back my lats and stuff like that just tightness nothing crazy no injuries low back yeah. okay let's let's do it let's do it <laughs> all right they have gotten up off of the bench uh john is looking big looking great <laughs> caesar over there touching his toes doc ray is assessing little lean back <laughs> that did not look good. Like a two by four, some would say. Ryan, how are we feeling over here? Feeling good. Glad to be here. <laughs> Going through a series of tests here, side to side. Caesar's leaning to the left. His hands are in the air now. Talking about an overhead squat. He can't understand what she's just saying. So, Doc Ryan, what are they going over here? What kind of, are they going over like thoracic extension? What, what did he just assess with the hands over the head? He was just going through a movement screen. I'm, I don't know exactly his thought process, but I would assume it's looking at the lats. Right. So with, I was looking to see of his uh, lumbar extension and then with him being so limited, was curious as to if he had any difficulty where he's doing like front squats or uh, snatches things where he's having to have that overhead position or the uh, that front loaded position because if he has difficulty then he's going to definitely be falling forward because of that tightness in the in the lumbar area this is good stuff this is awesome all right caesar is laying so prone Caesar's on the ground prone which means face down drop it <laughs> <laughs> So you want to make sure that you come over to the side and then. Ah. All and right. initially we just set it there to see how that feels. Oh, you feel it. You definitely <laughs> feel it. Because you want to gauge comfort level before you start you trying to roll that. So now I'm just going to do some. If you have any discomfort, just let me know. He is rolling the 80-pound cylinder on his back. Now, is he supposed to breathe or anything? Just breathe normal? Just breathe normally. Okay. That does look like it feels good. <laughs> yeah. 
How long does this go for? Do like three to five passes there. Okay. And then with him being as stiff as he was, I'm also going to get down in that upper gluteal area. How's that? See, that must feel awesome right there. Oh, right, on his, <laughs> right on his ass. Now he's on his hamstrings. He's coming back up. Yeah, the calves are the worst. All's quiet. Oh my god, feels good though. Caesar looks like he's in heaven. Are <laughs> you gonna do this? Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Stand up now. And then. Good. And then okay. just bend forwards. Good. And then now try the one bending backwards, making sure you keep those knees straight. Wow. The retest. Much different. Much different. Yeah. Immediately. Definitely improve for sure. <laughs> That's cool. And then statically, we could have you lying down with you in a kind of prone on elbows position with that across your low back so that then you're getting a little bit of uh, extension mobilization at the same time for a couple minutes and then go into doing some loaded movements you know doing some like prone press-ups and that will really help to enhance that that increased mobility so the guys down there like donnie thompson these guys these big bigger guys i'm guessing they're doing it before they do fill in the blank so squat right so what would they yes. with that the cylinder what would they do with it before squatting heavy so they use a lot more weight than that 80 pounder that I've got. <laughs> These guys are like four of us put together size wise and you need heavy load to, uh, to get those muscles to relax. So they would, uh, you know, depending upon the athlete, if they feel stiffness or tightness in like low back or quads, uh, hip flexors, any of those things, you can do some quick passes on all of those areas within just a couple of minutes to get them primed to, to perform. So, you know, hey, if they're just doing benching, then they're not gonna do the same type of muscle groups as they would if they're gonna squat. But, you know, working on the pecs, the lats, especially if you have tight lats, you know, lying on the side with that arm raised up over the head, rolling that out will make a huge difference yeah. in lat. I can't uh, even imagine that. Stiffness. Yeah, so how does this compare to foam rolling? And like, so for us, like, do we have to get one of these things? Like, how does it compare to foam rolling? <laughs> foam rolling wishes that it was body temperature. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, you know, they've pretty much replaced the foam rolling down at the compound where Donnie Thompson's at training with all those guys. They've replaced foam rolling with the tempering because they've seen that much of a dramatic improvement with the change to the body tempering. Wow. And you always need someone obviously there to to do this you can do it on yourself for certain areas but you know it's kind of it's difficult to do it to your own low back um, yeah. but uh, like the quads you could probably just flip oh, yeah. it on and quads just... you can easily do which i'll actually do right now oh yeah So this is, this is always going to be in a sitting position? So with the quads, you can either do it seated with the 
uh, femur supported or you can do it uh, long sitting so that you always want to have the bone supported so that you're not putting undue stress to uh, possibly fracture but you can do both legs at a time you simultaneously you can do one Ooh. and Ooh. You can also do Ooh. what feels the best on that quad is when you get down there at that quad tendon and you feel that little that little tweak. Oh, it's heaven. Heaven? Heaven. Heaven. Yeah. <laughs> I bitch out with 45 pounds. I can't imagine any pounds. <laughs> I know, with a barbell. Yeah. But you could you could put, you know, go to Home Depot and get a really big PVC pipe and then throw some dumbbells down in there. So then you've got weight in that cylinder, mm. and then you can use it without having to spend a bunch of money on a roller. Right, right. What, what, what is that, something like that run? This one is the 80-pounder from Rogue, and it is, I believe, 149.99 plus shipping, <laughs> which is like 30 bucks at least. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> All right. What else? Uh, yeah, man. Hey. Is, I, I, sh I hear you guys say you have your own athletes. Is physical therapy a preventative medicine, or is it like, am I going after I already, like what's, is. Awesome, awesome, awesome question. Great so questions. I think physical therapy should be preventative medicine, but a lot of times it's not. So, um, you know, having it, the ability to educate people and kind of talk to them about some of the things we talked about today is, is hugely important. Unfortunately, we don't in the model typically that we're working in we don't get the opportunity to do that so it takes a couple of things right it takes the right mindset of the person who wants to be involved in preventative medicine and sometimes that's not realistic sometimes people don't care until they are injured and when it changes their lifestyle and then they need help but pt can be hugely preventative so um george and i were talking a little bit before 88 you know they estimate that 80 percent of chronic diseases Right. And musculoskeletal diseases that we deal deal with or not diseases, but uh, impairments and syndromes are preventable. So I think that's where we should go. I think that's where the, the medical model should go. I think that's where the physical therapy model should go. And we'd be able to save a ton of money, a ton of time and a ton of uh, unnecessary images and surgeries and and even unnecessary physical therapy if we could be more involved in preventative medicine. I don't, I don't think we get to reach many people until after they've sustained an injury or a setback of some sort. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times it's not uh, something they think of right away and insurance isn't likely to cover it unless, it's, unless something's happened in the first place. Mm -hmm. So I think those are barriers. But to answer your question simply, yeah. So what would that look like? What would that look like? What would be someone who's trying to take in like initiative? Like, okay, I heard the podcast. I don't want to get hurt. I don't, I don't want to have injured. an injury. Like, what, what would that look like? So that would be talking, you know, you would have a sit down and talk to the person primarily about what their goals are. What are your fitness goals, right? What is your fitness background? And then how are we going to implement a program to get you there? And that's where you guys fit in hugely, right? So um, that, that's what you'd want to talk about, right? If, if somebody wants to increase their strength or their speed or their endurance, you know, then you can create a periodized program where you can help them. Um, but then you also can do your movement screens and look at their movement patterns, where they look faulty, where they have imbalances, and address those. And that's, again, where the, the PT kind of comes in and where we can help kind of uh, help 
kind of key in on areas that would prevent an injury down the road when someone is involved in higher level activities like a CrossFit workout. So, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you guys are, you probably have seen it already, right? CrossFit Glassman's got a CrossFit uh, level one for medical doctors, right? So that's preventative. Yeah. This is talking about preventative medicine. And I think, again, there's, there's a, there should be an emphasis on it. And I think in the, within the next couple of years, it's going to become even more of an emphasis. You see functional medicine becoming hugely popular, right? Some of the best schools in the country have it. You know, Stanford has a great functional medicine program and South Carolina does as well. So there's, there's situations where, uh, I think, I think we're, we're missing the target on a lot of things, excuse me, but, um, it's going to get there. Uh, Hopefully it does get there because Again, a lot of this stuff is preventable. I think you guys are on the right track. I think an article you shared with me when I was a student last year was the CrossFit article about sickness to fitness, that continuum. What was it? Sickness, wellness, yep. fitness. Yeah, you got it. That's it. I mean, I think that's, yeah, that's, that's spot that's, on. That's a big uh, – I, I love looking at that graphic, right? And what we're doing a lot of times in medicine and physical therapy is we're getting people well, but we're not getting them fit. Right. So if something does happen, if they have a, a catastrophic event and they slide back on that scale, maybe they only f- they fall back to well and not to that sick component. So I think PTs, we really we have a, an opportunity to really help people and talk to them about what their fitness goals are. And I think that getting them into programs that promote, um, you know, all the components of fitness like CrossFit does is, is huge. What do you think about, have you been following all the changes that's been going on with CrossFit? Yeah, so I, I, I haven't uh, dove huge into it, okay. but I think Glassman's mindset is to change the, the um, facade, I guess, Correct. of CrossFit, right? To make it more encompassing, all-encompassing, and yes. to really deal with um, preventative medicine and kind of move in that direction. Yes. I do agree with it. I agree with Me a too. lot of it. I, I know that people are aggravated based on the lack, the changing of the open games and right. and the formatting of that and the ch- how he wants to change the perception on TV. Of and taking away the social media avenues. No. Did you know that he did that? No. He got rid of all. Um, Deleted the Instagram, Facebook. Cross, yeah. Instagram, what CrossFit, CrossFit Games, be? CrossFit Affiliates, got rid of everything. Oh, really? I didn't. Did, did he ever come out with a reason? Yes. Did, yeah. Something about like, because they were they're going against like big companies like Coca-Cola, Pepsi, something like something along the lines, right? And yeah. then, and so they pulled their like Facebook is makes money off of Pepsi, Coca-Cola by like you know promoting their products, and they're like, and they they took a they took an article away that was against sugary drinks or something like that. I just told me. Oh really? Speak on it, George. You yeah, there was <laughs> there was an announcement uh, that they were supposed to make. I think it was supposed to be this week, but I don't know if they ever actually made the announcement um, about why exactly they deleted everything. Because I mean, there are still high level athletes, and that's amazing. But I don't know why they can't have both. But I do like the idea that they completely changed where they're going with yeah, it. I mean, you should be able to promote your. He has a product that he's yeah. trying to promote. You should be able to do that on Facebook. I, you know, I do agree with the the change in the philosophy a little bit, or how he wants CrossFit proceed. I think it can reach more people. I think that that's a, a, obviously a good thing. It's good for you guys, and it's good, good for the population in general. So, yeah, I think um, all these CrossFit affiliates are are upset or 
angry about it. I don't even know what the word is because they were like relying on CrossFit HQ and Greg Glassman to build their business, say, either through, you know, the social media posts or the Facebook posts because a lot of these affiliates just recycle them and then repost them thinking that that's how they're going to get their client in when they stripped all that away from all the affiliates. But with that said, it's putting more pressure on the affiliates to do and build their independent business within their community even better mm -hmm. because, you know, showing someone at, at the CrossFit Games isn't necessarily going to get someone off the street to say, oh, I can do that, you know. Now, if you look at their new website, their avatar or their first, one of the first pictures that you see on their website now is someone who's overweight. Mm -hmm. I think that's the direction that they need to be going. Yeah. So I can completely agree with this, this new change. And if you're relying on their content for your content, then you, you need, there's a problem with you. The business owner is missing the boat. Correct. Right. So the big thing, so research shows too, right? Um, one of the primary drivers for people coming in CrossFit is a sense of community, right? And that's that's huge, right? So um, going back to the injury standpoint, my goal is to get people back into that community mm. for reduction of other psychological factors with an injury and reduction in depression and things like that. So um, going back to what you're saying, though, you know, as you as a business owner, you guys as the coaches, you're trying to build a community here. And the only way you do that is by reaching out to people. It's not through right. Re regurgitating Facebook posts. Right. So. Exactly. And I think you guys have done a really good job of that, you know? Yeah. Ryan, thanks, man, for coming. Ryan's heading Yeah, thank out. you. See you on Monday. Um, thanks for having me, guys. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> thanks, man. Yep. Um, yeah, so, I mean, that's you guys have done an excellent job doing that, you know, uh, creating a good community, uh, helpful community. I mean, yeah, you see, it's and, and it's, it's it's always fun to see new faces in, right? Yeah, everybody has that. Um, somebody was in here this morning, maybe or last yeah, night. Was last this, night when yeah. I was here, you, I believe I heard Dave talking to this person and saying, "Listen, everybody's a little bit afraid the first day. You know, I know you know you don't really know what you're stepping into. It can be a scary prospect." But then you see that person yeah. two weeks later, and they're jumping right into the yeah. workout. So it's good. that's got to be a cool feeling, thing. So, it's really cool. So. You guys got anything uh yeah sure rapid fire um static stretching versus dynamic mm. stretching where's the place before you work out after you work out um so, you want to touch on that yeah before workout you want to definitely do active stretching you know i, I like you know uh, frankensteins butt kicks that type of thing doing inchworms that type of stuff so that then you're priming the body to move and then afterwards that's when you can get the benefit from the static stretching right how long at least 20 to 30 seconds yeah i would say actually even longer than that with a static stretch you want to hold it longer but raise right at the end of the workout where the tissue extensibility is better there's more elasticity in the muscles and the surrounding tissue is the way to go Excellent. So that Ron Watt philosophy of holding something for like three minutes is something you like, okay, yeah. It, yeah, it can, I mean, it only improves. Okay. You know, but you don't want to do anything less than 30 seconds. Okay. So it's almost like a waste of your time. All right. Dynamic, dynamic stretching, a little different, right? You can do that yeah. short intervals and change it up and continuously move. But yeah, that primes all the, primes your neuromuscular system, motor units, everything, prepares you for your workout. The static stretching 
reduces the perception of a stretch, but can also uh, elongate the tissue to help with flexibility and mobility afterwards. And typically the only people that like to stretch are the people that can do a full split and don't really need to stretch. So it's, the <laughs> yeah. one, it's the ones that are stiff that need to stretch. <laughs> right. <laughs> Not sure if you answered this last time you were here. Do you find that since CrossFit has blown up the way it has, more injuries? No. So, good, very good question. So, injury rates in CrossFit are no different than um, powerlifting. Boom. Take that to the <laughs> bank, bitches. Louder <laughs> for the people in the back. So it's yeah. So I was just gonna say, you you know what is the highest incidence of injury is uh, long distance running. Wow. And you know why? One of the components why is because they don't train their bodies differently, right? Okay. So that's a big thing in CrossFit is variability, working on different systems. Runners love to run, and they just run, and they run, and they run, and they don't strength train, and they don't do power lifting. They don't do those other components, and they end up having injuries. So um, I think when you take into account the risk factors involved in CrossFit, one of the big things is the coaching. I'll be honest with you, one of the pri probably the top, if not number two, is the coaching component and how you guys dictate how and when someone is going to load up a movement or not. So there's no increase in injury as comparative to most other sports in CrossFit. Um, but it does get a bad rap, as you guys already know. So okay. I think, again, the perception is they're trying to change that, right? There's, there's going to be a big change in that. So... Um, you take into account good coaching, proper coaching, a focused warm-up, right? Um, identification of improper movement patterns and changing that within the workout, seeing when someone's struggling with, with a certain weight and modifying that. Those are all situations where you guys can help impact those injury rates. So. What do you think is the biggest thing that CrossFit misses out on? What is the low-hanging fruit that you're like, they don't do that enough in CrossFit? that we should be doing more of today? I don't know. So, I, yeah, I got to think about that. So in, it depends. I mean, I think that every gym is a little different. I think that the programming is a little bit different from company to company. George. <laughs> um, by the way, no, he's, uh, George has done Go an ahead. excellent, excellent job. So, um, Roast me, please. I think, so I did touch on this last time. I think you, when you look at the injury rate, the highest rate of injury is the shoulder, right? The highest uh, body body part with the highest rate, I should Preach. say. So I think there should be some dedicated time to shoulder health. And I think that should be done anytime we're doing gymnastics-based movements. I think that that should be done anytime you're going overhead. Um, so single leg, single arm activities, I think could be improved upon too, in general. I think... Some people get transitioned to a barbell a little too quickly. Those people with, with lower training ages, right, that don't really know what they're doing. Maybe you can teach a motor pattern with a, a, barbell, a dumbbell in, instead of a barbell or a kettlebell instead of a barbell first. So they get, get the idea of what, they're, what they should be feeling when they're doing the movements. But that would be the, the big thing, right, to reduce shoulder injuries. Sometimes it's tough. I mean, the shoulders are used in, what, 90% of CrossFit movements. So if there's going to be, inherently, there's going to be some sort of soreness or, or small related injuries and pain and things like that. But by doing some shoulder health, shoulder-related health, especially before gymnastics movements, that can help. 
Any truth in those joint pills? Like that you see in GMC? Like Them there, joint pills? Uh, <laughs> joint I don't pills? think there's anything substantiating like glucosamine, chondroitin, and all that stuff. I don't I don't really, I haven't never come across anything that really What about fish oil? Fish oil is good for blood pressure. I don't know about joint health. I know that's been substantiated for blood pressure, but, um, and... I think inflammation. I think it'd be helpful for for inflammation within the body. Um, so, is there anything I can do just to main? You know, I'm, Marine Corps beat my shoulders up and I got <laughs> bashed over my belly. Like, what can besides just stretching? Anything I need to be doing? I mean, just with dedicated rotator cuff strengthening, right? And so, rotator cuff is, crossover symmetries are excellent. Is awesome. Um, rotator cuff is an endurance based muscle group so it should be trained with lower load higher rep schemes i think um you know some some weight bearing stability drills through the shoulder is always good to do because again when you have a barbell it's kind of like you're weight bearing through the joint as well so um you know rotator dedicated rotator cuff strengthening is important and also you're making sure that you got good thoracic spine mobility because if your thoracic spine mobility is lacking then your shoulders are going to have to work that much harder so doing some good uh, thoracic spine extension, rotation, mobilization type drills will, will definitely help with that. And now when you say we need more um, like one-sided movements, um, are we talking not necessarily like pistol squats in the workout? You're talking about like beforehand maybe like Bulgarian split squats? Yeah, or even or part of the workout. Mm-hmm. Dedicated part of the workout could be Bulgarian split squats or single leg uh, eccentric step downs, single leg weighted step ups, ah. single leg deadlifts, single leg glute bridges, single leg hip thrusters. Are, you can do a ton of stuff. Single leg RDLs. Yes. Yep. This is all, all of that stuff. stuff. So this you is all good stuff. Mental notes. So again, you're training single leg activities. Um, you can see asymmetries, right? You can see the person themselves can see, oh, okay, my left side's weaker. When you're constantly doing double leg activities, you can compensate. So you can kind of filter out those asymmetries and work on them as well. Same thing goes for overhead, right? Single leg, uh, or excuse me, single arm overhead pressing, um, single arm bench press, right? So single arm activities as well, where you're getting maybe a little bit away from the barbell can absolutely help. And it forces somebody to stabilize because it's a free weight instead of the barbell where you're kind of locked into a certain position. All right, John, last thing here. I want you to come up with your workout if it was your last yes. day on earth. Last day on earth. We're wow. going to call it the John McKenna, dedicated to you. Probably released on when? Uh, Monday? Or if, we're, if we're doing this Monday, yeah, let's do Monday. Or Tuesday. So what is, I picked the whole thing, the, the, the format thing. Let's and go. everything. I everything. Love, I'm, a big fan, I'm a big fan of Chipper, so let's do, we'll, we'll chipper. do a Chipper. Um, we're going to have to throw in, uh, we're going to have to throw in the, um, so you need four movements, four movements, four movements or more. It's a chipper. So we got to throw deadlifts in. Okay. We got to throw in, um, oh, what's the, I can't even think of it. Not the prowler. What do you got outside? No, the yoke carry. Yoke. Yoke carry. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe (laughs) all the gyms. Oh, all the gyms are doing this right. All right, so we'll do. All right, all right. right. Yeah, no, they're like this is happening. Okay, is it pro- be programmed. Okay, so we're gonna throw in deadlifts. We'll throw in. Um, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of single arm overhead lunges. Um, we're gonna do some upper body dumbbells or kettlebells. Kettlebells. Weight. 
53 for the men, 35 for the women. Okay. okay. Um, deadlifts will be uh, 60% of your one rep max. Ooh, see? Oh, hey. so variation. Okay. Yeah, so everyone's um, different. Two more movements. All right, so then we'll go. Um, does each gym have the uh, sandbag? No. No. He likes all the strongman stuff. Yeah, yeah. strongman components. Strongman competition that Ryan D is doing. Where is it? Where? It's like, I haven't heard of it. Uh, it's like 45 minutes north from here. I have to, I have to ask him about it. Um, Got a barbell? Uh, so let's throw in some some single leg weighted step ups. Love it. Okay. 20 inch box for the men, 18, or no, 24 for the men, 18 for the women. Does that work? 24-20. By weighted, you mean? Um, front rack. Okay. So, okay. Weighted single leg lateral Can we ups. hold it on our shoulder like the open? No, front rack. Oh. Front rack, bilateral. Okay. How, how much weight? Remember, you're already it, using a kettlebell for the overhead lunge. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Uh, 18? Eight, 18 pounds? 18 pounds in each arm for the men. Is there, There's no 18 pound anything. Yeah. Oh, the little ones. Yeah, my butt. I was yeah. thinking about dumbbells. I'm like, to switch that up because of the kettlebell. Okay. Because the, the girls may be using the 18 pounds for this. Long. Gotcha. gotcha. We can gotcha, go gotcha. DBs for that. Yeah, we can dumbbells. Yeah. yeah, dumbbells. We could still front rack some DBs. Yeah, front rack. Yeah. And then last one will be, what am I missing? I'm missing something. We got hip hinging. We have overhead. overhead we have more hip. hinging. Got some lunges. <laughs> okay. Uh, we have step ups. Yeah. Let's get a squat going. Squat. Yeah. No, this is your workout. This is your workout. It's, it's your workout, or a pull. man. He's staying away pull. from the gymnastics, I see. Yeah, <laughs> the big yeah. fella does oh, yeah. not oh, like yeah. gymnastics. Hey, his workout, man. He can make it. He can make it <laughs> seventy-five burpees. Um, all right, so we'll go, we'll go renegade rows. Hey, bring it yeah. back. People like the renegade rows. With the renegade rows with the kettlebells. Hell okay. yeah, because you're gonna be using them for the dumbbell step ups already. So then you go to the floor with them. With the dumbbells, you're saying okay. Kettlebell. Oh, kettlebells? Okay. So Work you're saying... Balance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're saying kettlebells for... The kettlebells are already going overhead with the lunges. No, We're going to use dumbbells for that. Sure. Okay, and then kettlebells... Sure. sure. And then kettlebells <laughs> for the step-ups, and then you're going to go right to the floor with them. With yeah. the kettlebells. Renegade roll with kettlebell. Yeah, we can do that. Yeah. Excellent. So then we have pushing and pulling. Let's right talk there. reps. Let's talk reps. Let's talk reps. Let's reps. Let's uh, so. That's what I'm here for. Reps. 60% of your one rep max, so you'd want to be working at... Oh, is this a team workout, or is this a single? No, this is the John McKenna. <laughs> okay. John um, so you're going to go 60% of your one rep max. So let's go 25 reps. 25 reps. Got it. Okay. All right. And then we're going to go... What do we got next? Step overhead ups? lunges. Overhead lunges. Overhead yeah. lunges, you're going to do 25 each leg. 20, 50? Yes. And then we got... <laughs> is this walking or... Uh, step walking. Pl- yeah, walking. Ooh. Walking. Uh, then we got lateral step-ups. Weighted lateral step-ups will go... Uh, lateral, huh? Oh, he yeah, didn't say lateral, lateral before. Ups. Yeah, weighted lateral <laughs> step-ups. Um, we'll go... <laughs> go 12 on each side? Right? So 24. Is that light? Is that too light? Not for lateral. Okay. <laughs> and then we'll go... Uh, Renegade row, right? Renegade rows will go. Um, Kill them. <laughs> three sets of twenty. 
Right, so 60 reps. Okay. 60 reps total. So three rounds. Wait, no, that's yeah. way too much. <laughs> so Your three rounds. <laughs> so no, no, no. Oh, we can go three rounds of that. 40, and make 40 it renegade rows. 40 renegade rows. 40. Yes. Okay. So you have 25 deadlifts, 50 lunges, 20, would you say four? 24 lateral step-ups. Lateral step-ups. And the front rack. Front rack. <laughs> and then 40 renegade rows. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Many yeah. Rounds. <laughs> All right. How many? No, it's a chipper. Chipper, one round. One round. It's chipper. Done. All right. Boom. Yeah. Blow through it. I like it. Yeah, well, fucking people are going to die in a fucking renegade yeah, rows. <laughs> hey. 40 renegade rows is a little crazy, right? No, 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 no. It's no, okay. No, no, okay. No. Hey. <laughs> we're talking, we're talking push up, row, row. Push up, row, row. row. Yeah. Yeah. They'll be fine. They'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, if they did Murph, they did uh, 200 push ups. Yeah, so. Yeah, it's going to be toasty. Might have to try that out. <laughs> hey, that's that's the Doc John right there. There you go, man. John. Boom. I like it. I, I like, like that it. a lot. All right, guys. That was that great. W- that was great. Any final yeah. words? Just appreciate y'all having me. Yeah, man. Where can people find you? I'm in Knoxville, Tennessee. I mean, like, uh, <laughs> on the internet. <laughs> so it's uh, PT to you. I have a mobile concierge PT service where I take the treatment to the client and I've actually been doing that the last couple years but I'm switching to be in a clinic more and I'll be doing that now after hours so those people that can't get in during a regular day because of their work schedule they can they can get with me PT to you yes cool I like it John where can people find you uh, most physical therapy I'm actually right down the road mostpt.com. Yeah. Uh, we're also on Instagram and Facebook and uh if you have any questions for me when you're in the gym, don't hesitate to ask. I like helping people out. And we'll do a knee seminar coming up. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. That. I'll get some information together. We'll do Hell a knee yeah. seminar. And yeah, guys, if you have not, if you missed out on the shoulder seminar that he had, that was amazing. You have to be there for the knee seminar. Even if you do not have knee problems or you do not have shoulder problems, get there. It is amazing. He makes it super <laughs> easy to understand. It was, it was incredible to be there. Awesome. Thanks again, guys. Thanks for Thanks, having me. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. it. Peace.